0: Good morning. Welcome to chapel this morning. Welcome to our annual marriage, family, and community conference. Every year in February, we're able to bring a guest speaker in for several days um, to speak on issues related to marriage, family, relationships. And um, we are delighted this year um, that today, tomorrow, and Friday we'll have chapel, and that um, we'll be hearing from Reverend Kevin DeYoung. Um Kevin DeYoung is the senior pastor at University Reform Church in East Lansing, Michigan. That's right across the street from Michigan State University. Um, he serves as a council member of the Gospel Coalition and he's the co-author of several books, Why We Love the Church, What is the Mission of the Church, and the author of um, a recent book, The Hole in Our Holiness, and a book that maybe many of you have read. It's called Just Do Something. It's a Great book! If you haven't read it, I strongly recommend it. Um, he and his wife Trisha are both here this week. Um, they have five children, um, and we are just delighted to have him ministering with us over the next few days. So, join me in welcoming Rev. Kevin DeYoung. Well,
1: thank you. I'm very glad to be here because. My wife is here and my five children are not, which is probably not what I should say at the beginning of the Family Marriage Life Conference, but it is true, and uh, I am looking forward to speaking to you over the next few days about family or possibly marriage or possibly community or all of the above. We'll see where these three talks go. Uh, I, I haven't been to Covenant before. I spoke at graduation a couple of years ago, but that was down the mountain in Chattanooga. Never came up here to see your shining city on a hill, so it is uh, wonderful to be here. My memories of Tennessee involve driving through the mountains back from a family vacation many years ago. I was 15 or 16 and for some reason my parents thought it was a good idea to have me drive the car early in the morning. You all get a lot of fog here. And uh, I'm just, I just thought for sure we were. this was it. Our life ended in Tennessee somewhere. But we made it, and now I'm here. And it's an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you and open up God's Word. I want to talk to you about two different movies I've seen. Um, no, not... Chariots of Fire, um, though that's a good movie. Um, You may all be a little too young. These were just when you were little, but maybe you've seen them. The first is a movie called Pleasantville. came out in 1998 as Tobey Maguire, who's in the Spider-Man, whatever movies. And uh, in the movie, you have two teenagers from the 1990s pulled back into this black and white world of the 1950s, sort of reverse Wizard of Oz, where it starts out in color and then it pulls them back into black and white. And uh, the movie is is a complicated social commentary, but at least in part I, I read it as a pretty strong criticism of traditional America and traditional values. Pleasantville, where they go back to, and it's sort of this seemingly idyllic, and yet you want to see it as repressive city, which is safe and moral and dominated by the family, is made to look very unattractive. So that as the characters begin to break free from some of the the social norms and expectations, they begin to see color. So they go from black and white, and, and color enters into their world when they start to break free from this somewhat repressive, family-oriented city. That's sort of one picture of how our world looks at the family. It's the family as a straitjacket. You have rules, you have expectations, personal freedom is ultimate, and whatever threatens that freedom, threatens those choices, even the family, is suspect. There's another movie came out in the year 2000 with Nicolas Cage. It's called The Family Man. Here's a description of it. Jack Campbell, a successful and talented businessman, is happily living his single life. He has everything or so he thinks. One day he wakes up in a new life. And in this life, he did not leave his college girlfriend for a trip to London, but instead he wakes up and he's married to Kate, lives in New Jersey, has two kids. And he wakes up and he is desperate for his old life back. He is just miserable. I think he sells tires or something like that. And he wants this old life, which is exciting. But, of course, as the movie goes on, uh, he begins to appreciate uh, the life he has with a wife and kids and living in middle America. And it turns out that he realizes family is really what's best and is more important than success or career or money. And this is a second view of family in our culture. The first movie, Pleasantville, sort of gives a picture. Family is a straitjacket. It, it hems you in and keeps you from doing what you really want to do. And then in the second, which is equally common, you have the family as a sort of idyllic goal. In one view, the family keeps you from everything you want. In the other view, family promises to give you everything you really want. And you could probably just think of different movies or stories that you've encountered and see that th- these two competing themes run on parallel tracks throughout our culture. And what I want to suggest to you is that Jesus promoted neither one of these views. Now you may quickly think, well, the second view is, is closer, isn't it? And, and there may be some more overlap. But the biblical view of the family Uh, includes some of that. But Jesus has quite a number of surprising things to say about the family. There are certainly many unsurprising things we could look at. That Jesus believed marriage was between a man and a woman. That Jesus believed matrimony was good. That Jesus believed that children were good and a blessing. But what I want to talk to you about are some of the surprising things and the ways in which Jesus challenges all of our conceptions of family. If you have a Bible or some electronic device, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 3. We'll be looking at just a few verses. First, verses 20 and 21, and then verses 31 through 35. Jesus has had a busy day, a busy ministry. Great crowds following him just recorded that he appoints the 12 apostles. And then we read in Mark chapter 3, verse 20... Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And if you go down to verse 31, which picks up this incident, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister And mother. Jesus' theology of the family has at least three very surprising elements in it. Number one, the first surprise in Jesus' theology of the family. Number one, family ties do not get you in. Family ties or family connections do not get you in You see this visual picture here, which carries a lot of theological significance. You see in verse 31, his mother and brothers come and they're standing outside. So there's a a striking picture that his family, his, his flesh and blood kin, are standing on the outside. They are outsiders while he is with the disciples, those who are his disciples following him are the insiders, and now his flesh and blood family are outsiders. We see in verse 21 that they want to seize him. Now, they're not trying to seize him so they can tell him to come home for dinner and, hey, Jesus, you're late, and soup's on. They want to seize him because they think he's an embarrassment. You see in verse 21, they were saying he is out of his mind. So someone passes the message to him in verse 32. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Hey, look, Jesus, man, your mom's looking for you. I mean, that's not what you want to hear. That's bad. Uh, your mom's looking for you, and your brothers are here, and Jesus does not go out to welcome them. This, this would be rude, considered rude, even in our context. Someone rushes up your dorm. Says, <laughs> I don't know whether it's good or bad, but your mom is here? Really? Yeah. She's right out there. Hey man, your mom's here. She's in the cafeteria. She's, just, she's holding down a seat for you. If you could come meet her there. No, you'd probably go and, you know, wear a hoodie or something and get over there. And Jesus doesn't even go out. No, he's not being rude. There's a reason for it. His family's will is at odds with his mission. He's not trying to be mean. But he's making a point. You are not a part of my inner circle just because you're related to me. They're on the outside. The disciples are on the inside. And see, this visual display is a warning for Mark's readers and for each of us that we do not have an inside track to Jesus just because of some family pedigree now certainly there's great benefit and many of you like me probably had parents who loved you and brought you to church and should always be thankful but what Jesus wants you to see is you do not get in with Jesus because you have a family that was in with Jesus I mean this is his family and they're outsiders Jesus says in verse 32, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. He does not say, whoever grew up a religious person, whoever, whoever grew up going to church, that's not what Jesus would say to you this morning. Hey, if anyone grew up going to church, if, if you got church in your background, then man, you're, you're my brother, my sister. Jesus doesn't come this morning and say, hey, whoever here has got a grandma or a a parent or just kind of somebody you're close to that really, really loves Jesus, then you're all right with me. I hope we can hear this loud and clear. That as important as family is and as thankful as we ought to be for good families... You cannot play the family card with Jesus and expect to get very far. I mean, think about it. This did not work for his own family. Jesus' mama. Your mom is here. He said, who's my mom? You, you think if Jesus' own brothers and sisters, if Mary, his mother could not be an insider by virtue of family connections, you think you, 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 you have family connections. I don't care what your last name is, how much money you have, uh, how you got a pastor in a family, or where you've been. Family doesn't get you in. And, you know, it's very popular, uh, especially on college campuses, to hear a lot of critiques about Western individualism. And indeed, it can be a problem, and we overlook community and the importance of the church. We'll talk about that later. But here's where uh, we must not overlook the significance of the individual. Every single one of you will stand before God individually. You will have to give an account for your life. You'll have to give an account for what you did with the light that you had. You'll have to give an account for... The gospel that you've heard, no doubt, clearly, day after day, week after week in this place, you'll have to give an account and you'll stand there alone. You'll not be able to say, well, but, but my mom and dad, you know them. And Jesus may say, I do know them. And I don't know who you are. I haven't seen you here before. Family does not get you in. That's the first surprise. Here's the second surprise with Jesus' theology of the family. Family does not come first. Do you see how Jesus relativizes the priority of the family? Now, those family ties still mean something later when he's on the cross. One of his his last wishes is, is to have John, his beloved disciple, take care of his mother. So he's thinking about his mother even to the end. But if you belong to Jesus, the Spirit's tie is stronger than flesh and blood. Family is not what your life is all about. Which of these statements sound like they could be a conversion story in the church? You know, someone gets up, I want to tell my testimony. Which one of these sounds like a familiar testimony? A year ago, I was living my life for money, and that's all I cared about was my career, and that's all I could think about, and now I've come to Jesus. Yeah, sounds familiar. Or, my life used to be all about sex, and I was living for one sexual experience to the next. It's what gave me meaning and purpose. That's all I could think about, and I realized there's something better, something more important in life. Or,. Before I became a Christian, I was obsessed with my career, and I'd worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and I was on the fast track to success, and I sacrificed everything for the sake of my career, and I've come to see that it doesn't satisfy. Or what about this? When I was a non-Christian, I found my entire significance and my entire worth in my family. And I lived for my children, and I worship the approval of my family, and my family was the most important thing, and it was an idol to me. And I became a Christian, and I've seen that it, it's an idol that doesn't satisfy. I've never heard a testimony like that. I've heard the other ones, and wh- wh- why is it that the fourth category seems so outlandish? I mean, think about the examples I just gave: someone who's uh, obsessed about. Money, sex, career. All of those things can be good gifts from God and all of them can be abused and become idols. And is not family in the same category. A gift from God that can be abused and can become an idol. Now please hear me. If I had more time, I'd add a whole bunch of caveats. I'm not arguing for the neglect of my family. You're sitting there and you're thinking, you're just trying to make yourself feel good because you left five kids with grandma and grandpa. How would you do that? You're just trying to justify that you blog all the time, and you're probably not, you're not going to their basketball games. And, no, I'm not, not trying to do that. Here's what I'm saying. We, we can use the veneer of Christianity to trade one idolatry for another. You know, we like the movies where the protagonist learns money isn't everything, fame isn't everything, success is everything, and then they learn family is everything. But it's not. The idolatry of the family is one of the most acceptable sins in conservative churches. God, not your family, gives you meaning and purpose in life. God is your only hope. God is your only comfort. God alone can satisfy your deepest longings. God alone is the reason you exist. The glory of God is your chief concern. Now you can feel the tension here. I want to say, Pastor, careful. You're sounding dangerous. My mom and dad aren't going to write any more checks to covenant if this is what they get. And I know it sounds dangerous, but Jesus said dangerous things. Matthew ten thirty seven: Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if Jesus preached that, you'd say, uh, Jesus, you want to leave that just hanging like that? I mean, you want to, you know, do a little, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, and I'm not, I mean, kind of m- massage that a little bit? We, you know, We get drawn sometimes to Jesus' radical statements about money. What about his radical statements concerning the family? It's possible that you live your whole life seeking the approval of your family. It's possible that if you look deep down what you're you're really here for at Covenant, what what you're really aiming for in life, what, what you really want, not to glorify God with whatever he has for you, you got to have a family. If you don't get married if you don't have kids. Then, what have you amounted to? How could you possibly be satisfied? This is actually where uh, sometimes our, our 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 sometimes idolatry of the family uh, works against us when we try to promote biblical sexual ethics. Because if you're telling somebody that, you know rather than acting on those attractions which are illicit, you ought to be single and celibate and chaste and pray that God would deliver you from temptation. If we have the idolatry of the family, then people say, well, you're, you're just saying I can't even be a, a whole person. I, I, can't even, I can't live the good life anymore. We must always, even as we honor family relativize it for this reason if for no other. That the God that we worship and the, and the founder of Christianity whom we follow never had sex, never had children of his own, never was married. And the apostle that did the most to, to plant churches in the Gentile world, Paul, just the same. We have to consider Jesus' priorities, that God comes before our family. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. God gave us that commandment for our good. Because this isn't at all to say that family is not a blessing. Certainly it is, but work is a blessing and your um, you know, academics and study and learning and the pursuit of knowledge, all of that is a blessing. And, and everything except for God comes with great danger. You know you're Family has become an idol when that idol begins to destroy you because your family will let you down, but God doesn't. Your family will not provide meaning for your life, only God will. Family is a wonderful blessing, but it is a created thing, and no created thing can take the place of the creator. And you must especially recall this lesson for those of you, there's probably more than you might think who have family members who are hostile to your growth in Christ. And you need to realize that Jesus faced this before any of us did. John 7, 5, it says, Not even his brothers believed him. His family, his brothers, were at this point at cross purposes with his mission. And when God and family conflict... You have to side with God. Family does not come first. Here's the third surprise. God's family is open to all. So family ties did not get you in. Family does not come first. Here's the third surprise. God's family is open to all. See, I hope you hear this all as, uh, as, as good news, not bad news. The good news is it doesn't matter who your daddy is or if you ever knew him. You can be a part of God's family. One of the great poets of the 1980s said, It don't take money, don't take fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train. Um, I was born in the 80s, you weren't, so you can look it up and figure out who said that. Great line of poetry. And it's true in God's family. Whoever does the will of God, Jesus says, Those are my brothers, my mother sisters. This redefinition opens up the family of God to Jew or Gentile or black or white or rich or poor or man or woman, anyone from any background willing to accept Jesus on his terms. Now, when Jesus says whoever does the will of God, he's he's not trying to give here a theology of justification and to say, well, if you uh, just obey me enough and then you can be a part of my family. He's not thinking on those, in those theological categories. He's simply saying with the will of God that if you trust me and if you obey me, you belong to me. In John 6, some people came to Jesus and said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. And in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you're going to really have a lot of, kind of, like, warm feelings all the time. If you love me, you're going to be very expressive. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how you'll know who loves me. The question is this. Do you think of yourself as a disciple or as a deserver? I just made up a word there so I could get the D thing. That's what you do as a preacher, just alliteration at all costs. But <laughs> do you think of yourself as a, a deserver? You know, one who deserves. I deserve to be at this school. And I'm pretty self sufficient, pretty self reliant, pretty smart, pretty holy. Got a pedigree. i, I Deserve. I mean, you would never say that your theology is better than that, but you walk around. I know what that's like. That's how I walked around often, and I went to my Christian college. I do, I deserve this a little bit. I mean, look at me. A little smarter, a little better. You deserve it, or are you a disciple? You say, Jesus, I'm just here to, to learn, to follow, to trust, to obey. Let me address three different kinds of people in closing. First, those of you who think you have it together and those of you who have very nice families and those who are committed to your families, those who love your families, you, I mean, you call your mom every week. Who does that in college? But you do. Good for you. <laughs> and, not, not, and it's not always to ask for money. Sometimes just to talk and... So that, this category of people, you, you love your family. You've got a good family. That's a lot of you. Here's your challenge. What are you, what are you counting on? What gives you worth? What, what, what's your identity? What are you living for? Your family ties are not going to get you in with Jesus. So your challenge is to be grateful for all that God's given you. And isn't that what we want to give our children? I mean, we, I always say at our church, we love boring testimonies. We love boring testimonies. We don't, I mean, we love the exciting ones, but you don't raise your kids, you know. You know, when you're, when you're 15, try drugs. And then, and then I'll try to hook you up with some people and then uh, hear some bad music and why don't you try that because then, man, you're going to get an awesome testimony sometime. No, you, 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 you want kids... To never know a day when they didn't know Jesus. That's, that's my experience by the grace of God. That's many of you. But our challenge then is to think, what are we really counting on? What are we really living for? What's our real priority? Here's a second group. Those of you who face one of the most difficult challenges in the whole world, do you please your parents or do you follow God? I want to give encouragement. Mark 10, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Some of you have parents that are not happy with you being a Christian or at least not, you know, they're happy for you to be a good person. Not happy that you get, you know, real crazy. Not happy that you're talking about going somewhere overseas and being a missionary. Not happy that you're going to be a pastor. And You may have some of those families. And you have to face a difficult challenge of how to honor them and how to love them and how to put God before them. And here's the third group, those of you who sit here and you wonder, with my family background, with where I've come from, what I've done, can I really be a part of God's family? Or maybe it's even more specific, maybe you think, can, can I really have a place at Covenant College? Which I, don't, I don't know you all very well, I don't know many of you, I imagine there's a lot of people here that fit into that first category, good family. Good family. Maybe some of you feel like, man, that's everyone. I don't. What's my place here? I don't have a mom or dad like that. I don't have a church like that. Postmodern people like to suggest that we shouldn't have in and out categories in the church, but clearly Jesus does. But the shocking, scandalizing thing is that His family here is on the outside, and He says, "No matter how much you think your family's on the outside, here's a way that you can come on the inside." if you'll be my disciple, if you'll trust and obey. Because this is the scandal and this is the surprise with Jesus. Those we think should be insiders are almost always outsiders in the gospel. And those on the outside often end up sitting right at the feet of Jesus. So those of you who have had the tightest inside track to Jesus ought to consider this morning if you've been assuming that or you've been really walking it. And those of you who have seemed the, the farthest and seem like you've come from a totally different place and you don't have a family, anything like this, you ought to consider that Jesus may in fact have a place at His feet, the closest to His heart. Anyone can get in the family of God if they will trust and obey and be humble enough to kneel before Jesus and say, I do not deserve it. I have no reason to deserve it because of me or because of my family, but I want to be your disciple. And Jesus will say to you, that's my family. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that these students go to hundreds of chapels and It can't all possibly be good. But your spirit can be at work in all of them. And so we pray that you would would now preach to us just what we need to hear, whatever category we're in, however we need to be comforted or afflicted with this message. And we pray that the result would be greater devotion to Jesus, greater faith in Christ, greater obedience to his will and to his word, and that we would not take anything for granted but follow you with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and all our mind and put you first. In Christ's name, amen. amen.